0: Have you ever wondered why you can sound pretty good the day before an audition or performance, and even feel pretty confident backstage warming up, but then sound like a totally different person when it actually counts? Everyone experiences this gap between performance and practice. So it's totally not just you. Part of the problem is that our practice tends to be skewed heavily towards learning rather than performing, which can help us sound pretty good in the practice room, but this level of playing doesn't always transfer to the stage, where you have to get something right the very first time when the adrenaline has kicked in. If you've wished you could feel more confident on stage and perform more consistently at the level you know you're capable of, or if you've wanted to help your students have a more positive experience on stage, but haven't been quite sure how to make that happen, starting Tuesday, June 18, I'll be teaching a live, online, accelerated two-week class on the most essential mental skills that can make the biggest difference in your practicing and performing. We'll meet twice a week via Zoom and work on a range of exercises and techniques in four essential psychological skill areas together as a group. And to make sure the ideas don't just stay in your head, but actually become consistent habits, I'll show you how to gently integrate these new skills into your or your student's daily practice in manageable, bite-sized pieces alongside a cohort of supportive practice buddies from around the world. Registration is open now through Sunday, June 16 at 11.59 p.m. Pacific. Over fifteen hundred musicians, educators, and students and learners of all ages have participated in the course already. You can find out what alumni are saying and sign up to join Cohort 18 at bulletproofmusician.com slash essentials. When I was just starting out on the violin as a young child, my mom made listening to music a real priority. There was music playing when I woke up, music playing in the car during the 10-minute drive to and from school, and the 45-minute drive to and from lessons. There was even music playing in the house all the time, and as I was going to bed at night for many years. It's easy enough nowadays to stream music anywhere, anytime, but back in the 70s and early 80s, this took a lot more effort. For instance, my mom likes to tell the story of all the times she had to run up and down the stairs to place the needle back at the beginning of the record so I could listen continuously to the Suzuki pieces I was learning. And given how short most of the Suzuki songs are in the early books, she'd get in a pretty good workout most days. Cassette tapes weren't a whole lot better. I mean, having to sit there and wait for the tape to physically rewind was a pain. And then you'd have to guess how long to press the rewind button for. Hold it down too long, and you'd overshoot the beginning of the piece. Listening to music is a core part of the Suzuki philosophy, of course. But how important was all of this listening, really? Is there any research on how or whether listening to recordings affects music learning? A team of researchers led by pianist-turned-neuroscience researcher Amir Lahav put together a study to answer this very question they recruited 36 non-musicians and set about teaching them how to play a 15-note musical passage by ear on an electronic keyboard. Each participant practiced the passage until they reached a point where they were no longer making mistakes. On average, for what it's worth, it took less than a half an hour or so for most participants to get to this point. Then the participants were split into three groups and asked to return to the lab for three additional training sessions during the week. One group, the passive listening group, did three 20-minute listening sessions over the next week, where they sat in a restful position with palms up and listened to the passage over and over. And why palms up? Well, that was to discourage them from fingering along with the music and getting in some additional air piano practice. Another group, the distracted listening group, also did three 20-minute listening sessions, But in their case, the music played in the background as they were asked to focus their attention on solving a challenging jigsaw puzzle. Then a third group, the nature listening group, did listening sessions of a very different sort. Instead of hearing the music they had learned, they listened to nature sounds while seated in a restful position. Keep in mind that after the initial 30-minute or so training session, none of the participants were given a chance to do any more physical practicing on a piano. The most some of them got was an opportunity to simply listen to or hear in the background the passage again. So when tested a week later, would there be any differences between the listening groups in their ability to play this passage without even having touched a piano for a week? Well, a week after their initial learning session, everyone returned to the lab for a surprise test. With no warm-up, they were given one single chance to give their best, that is most accurate, performance of the passage they learned the week before. The researchers then evaluated their performances on three basic criteria. One was pitch, as in, did they play the right notes? Next was rhythm. Did they play the right notes at the right time? And then there was dynamics. Like, were the target dynamics that were established in the learning phase something they also remembered to do in the performance? So the results of their test suggest that yes, yes, listening to music did have a clear impact on the participant's level of performance. In terms of note accuracy or pitch, the passive listening group, that's the group that listened while sitting still, they played significantly more notes correctly than either the distracted listening group that listened while working on a puzzle or the nature listening group. And with regards to rhythm and dynamics, both the passive listening and distracted listening groups outperformed the nature sounds group. Interestingly, there was no significant difference in performance between the passive and distracted listening groups when it came to either rhythm or dynamics. The only difference was note accuracy. And playing the right notes obviously does matter, but it's cool to know that we may be able to gain something from listening to music even if we're not actively paying attention to it. It's true that these were untrained musicians learning relatively basic passages on a keyboard, However, there are some related studies which suggest that there really may be something happening in the brain when listening to music that helps to consolidate learning. For instance, a study of professional musicians in 2006 found that listening to music also does seem to activate the motor-related regions of the brain responsible for that movement, and vice versa. So while more research on musicians would be nice, it does seem that listening to music could be a helpful practice aid. Could there be any downsides to this, though, or is it possible to do too much listening? Well, it depends. At certain points of the learning process, especially if the primary goal is to formulate your own interpretation of a piece, then yes, listening over and over to the same recording could certainly be a hindrance rather than a help, as pianist Vivian Hornick-Weilerstein explained in her episode. But listening to a wide range of recordings, as cellist Mark Kossauer spoke to in his podcast interview, or listening more intently so as to steal elements of other musicians' approaches, as flutist Keith Underwood explained in his podcast episode, can also potentially help with cultivating one's own unique musical style and interpretation. So maybe you're preparing for big competition or audition, and have a ton of rep to keep in your fingers and in your memory. Or maybe you just need to learn a lot of rep in a short period of time. Well, try putting on some recordings of these pieces in the background when you're driving, going for a run, or cooking dinner. Or if you're not in the mood to practice, or just physically fatigued and need a break, or maybe recovering from an injury and need to limit your physical repetitions, put on a recording and just listen instead. Because whether you're sitting still or tapping your fingers along with a piece, it may not replace your physical practice, but at the end of the day, Dr. Suzuki does seem to really have been onto something. You can find links to this week's study and other related practice hacks at bulletproofmusician.com slash blog. If you found this episode helpful, please do share it with a friend or practice buddy who you think would also enjoy experimenting with it during the coming week. And if you'd like to explore this sort of thing in more depth, whether it be to get more out of your daily practice or to get better at managing performance pressure and shrinking that gap between what you can do in the practice room and what comes out on stage, You can learn more about the live and self-paced courses that are available at bulletproofmusician.com slash courses.